hey, if you are spoiler averse for anything involving Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, I recommend that you jump ahead to about nine minutes in because uh, that's when the interview starts. So that's fair warning. Um, even even the music here. Well, no, not the music. The music's going to be fine, but uh, it starts like almost right away. Uh, so just, you know, jump ahead. Nothing, nothing big. But if you want to go in absolutely cold, for the love of God, just just jump ahead to nine minutes, all right? Just be safe. And then turn it off after the interview's done. Sons Travelers, welcome to episode 199 of the No Proscenium Podcast, the voice of everything immersive from Earth to the Outer Rim. I'm Noah Nelson coming to you from, well, normally I come to you from the No Pro Studio, aka the kitchen table, but today I'm actually in my room uh, because the kitchen table was a little noisy uh, today. Uh, here in Los Angeles, this episode is brought to you by listeners like you. More on that in a moment. Today on the show, we're looking forward to SIGGRAPH 2019. We have Victoria Reggae, who is the conference chair for AR, MR, and VR, and Maxwell Plank, who is the VR theater director. Now, if you don't know about SIGGRAPH, uh, which is coming up here in LA uh, from uh, July 28th through August 1st, first, uh, SIGGRAPH is this uh, sort of essential innovative technology uh, kind of focused on the entertainment industry. So computer graphics, animation, VR, gaming, emerging technologies uh, is the focus about production, research, art, and design. Um, if there are advances in the arts and sciences of entertainment, they almost always get shown at SIGGRAPH long before they reach the general public. This is about the research and development. And if you want to know where the beginning of the curve is, it starts right at SIGGRAPH. SIGGRAPH moves around. You're going to get a lot more about what the conference is. This is a, one of those wonderful educational interviews that I sometimes get to do. Uh, the team was out checking things out, and uh, we met up actually uh, a couple of months ago. Registration, early registration is ending on June 7th, so um, give a whirl to that. And again, it's coming up at the end of July, kind of, kind of after Comic-Con, and uh, if you're a nerd for this kind of stuff, uh, and you don't know about SIGGRAPH somehow, uh, that's kind of amazing, actually. But uh, now you're going to. Hey, a uh, couple of things to talk about uh, on our end of stuff. Uh, the Overlook Film Festival is going to be next weekend. This weekend is Memorial Day weekend. Next weekend, it's Overlook. I'll be moderating the immersive panel on Saturday at the festival. So if you're there, check it out. Come on by. See some of the immersive stuff. And come meet some of the creators. That's how I'm going to do it. Um, the Hollywood Fringe Festival, which is here in L.A., it's coming up. Uh, the previews start the weekend after that. So it's New Orleans, back to Los Angeles, festival upon festival upon festival. And, of course, in July, we've got Comic-Con coming up. And there is a bunch of other stuff going on. 
Right now at the website, I would recommend checking out the interviews uh, about two crowdfunding campaigns. One is for Otherworld in Nashville. They just did a spinoff in Atlanta, and they're coming back to Nashville, and they're looking to raise about $20,000. And the other is for a show here uh, called The Why. It's actually a series, uh, a little four-part series that's going on. Um, We did an interview with the creator, and it's up there. And uh, they're looking to raise $3,000. They've got a, uh, less than 72 hours from uh, when I'm recording this. Uh, but they are like 900 bucks away. So they're pretty close. So, And this is how they're doing their pre-sale. Like they're doing Kickstarter as a pre-sale to get the show going. And Kickstarter, as you know, is an all or nothing. So check out the interview and see. Um the eagle-eared amongst you might have heard that the opening of the show was a little strange. Uh, there's a very good reason for that. Um, earlier today, uh, one of you, one of the friends of the show, um, surprised me. Well, they surprised me last night, but today was the day that the surprise uh, came to fruition. Um, as you all know, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is about to open and they've there've been some previews going on and one of you was very generous and uh because uh they were you know, involved in the project uh at in some capacity they uh, brought me along to the plus one and I'm going to talk a lot more about that on the other side of the interview because uh, I'm sure some people are like, oh, God, Noah's Ben. Whoa, here we go. Um, I'll just say this much. I'm not going to go too deep because I want to write about it. Uh, but I am going to say that uh, I managed to experience actual catharsis today. And it's been a minute since that has occurred. Uh, maybe we'll get into the details of that. And some of that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep a little private to myself because uh, your catharsis is catharsi, cathari. Uh, they are for you and you alone, much like mine is for me and me alone. But I will talk about some of, uh, the conditions that led to it. Uh, a few of the details I will obscure. Um, and yeah, we'll talk about that. Let's, uh, do the thing we normally do, which is talk about the crowdfunding campaign here because, Hey, I'm freelancing these days. So one of the things I had to do is I had a PR freelance thing deadline and I had to contact them and say, so my morning just blew up. Uh, can we push the deadline back? Is that going to be okay? It is the Memorial day weekend. and I don't think the client's going to get to it. And they're like, yeah, that's fine. You can, you can do it. We gave you the notes yesterday. So it's, it's to be expected. Um, I'm like, great. And I got, got that luckily got that done. Um, but mostly I work for you now. Uh, you are my employer. Uh, that means uh, the output, uh, is increasing slowly, but surely. Um, anyway, uh, more on that in, in the latest edition of the irregular, which will come up over this weekend. There's some big thoughts going on in my brain all the time. Patreon.com no persinium is how you keep that brain fueled with caffeine and sadly too much sugar these days. Don't worry. Your employee is going to take better care of his health soon enough. Uh, He owes that to you. But if you want to help out the way Sean Lazan and Kelly have 
as our latest backers. We're up to 240 backers, uh, 1357 bucks a month. We're on the road to 250 backers where we just celebrate and to $1,500 a month where we're going to be putting away 150 bucks a month for travel money for the team. So not for me, but for the team, which basically means the next 150 bucks ish that comes in isn't even mine. It's the teams. So if you want Anthony and Kevin and Catherine and Michaela and all sorts of other folks uh, to be able to, you know, oh, there's a show going on like 100 miles away. You want them to go do it. If you want us to be like, you know what, we want to cover that show in Cleveland. We want to cover that show over there and send some of the team out. This is the time to jump in. Like the more of that we get, we're going to keep putting 10% away from here on out to help cover team travel expenses. That is the pledge. That was the promise. And I like to keep my promises. It's also why I call the irregular the irregular because, oh my God. uh, Yeah. Anyway, more soon. Next week is episode 200. It's a special episode. We've already recorded it. Get the team together and sort of crack into some new things in a new era. All right. With that in mind, patreon.com slash no proscenium is how you support us. The sustaining backers of the show are Mark Balthazar, Jan Budman, Lonnie Hanson, Ari Herstan, Sam Kinkin, and Samuel Mustry. And now, the interview, and uh, in about an hour, come on back, and we will talk about our time on Batu. <laughs> Victoria, Max, thank you for meeting me at the hotel today. So yeah, here, our pleasure. Here yeah. at the JW Marriott in downtown Los Angeles. Um, is there, so for, the, I was going to ask, is there something with SIGGRAPH going on right now? But that's not the important question. The important question is, for those who listen to the show who might not know what SIGGRAPH is, could one of you tell us, could I give the, the elevator pitch version? Sure. Go for it, Victoria. So SIGGRAPH is five days of immersion in animation, spatial computing, game development, digital art, scientific and academic research that comes through in the form of talks, panels, tutorials, workshops, as well as the experience hall and the immersive pavilion of which Max and I are working together on. Fantastic. Um, Max, maybe you can take this part of it. How does... How does what SIGGRAPH, which covers all that, how does it sort of intersect with VR? Because you're, you're, you're programming the VR theater on the yeah. storytelling side. Yeah, I, uh, I, I love SIGGRAPH. I, my first SIGGRAPH was back in 2004, and it's there. It was in Boston where I real oh, no, L.A. I'm, I'm forgetting now. They're all blending together. Uh, it's, that's where I knew that I was a computer graphics nerd, mm. that I wanted to be on the bleeding edge of where technology and art were coming together. And one of the reasons I fell in love with VR is because it's doing the same thing. It's pushing forward what entertainment could be by using technology and, uh, and art and finding a new language. And that's what SIGGRAPH has always been about. Uh, back in the 70s, SIGGRAPH was this small conference where you were seeing these amazing renders of reflective spheres and checkerboards. And that was the art that eventually became Toy Story. And so that's what we're seeing in VR right now is the evolution of a new medium. And SIGGRAPH is the place where we're showcasing that and celebrating the emergence of a new way to entertain. 
That's one of the things that always strikes me about when I see things come out of SIGGRAPH. And we were, just, just before, because we were talking about like when I first heard about it, you know, the thing that always sticks in my mind is this piece that was out of the Disney research at Carnegie Mellon that they were using potted plants as control yeah. surfaces for yeah. computers. So it's like that sort of completely, you know, someone even saying impractical uses of technology, just just the place where you go see people have asked the what if. Yeah. Like, well, what if what if we did this? And then it appears at SIGGRAPH. And then what's always seems amazing is that someone goes and sees that and then maybe two, three, five, 10, 20 years down the line, it, it becomes something that either everyone's enjoying as a piece of entertainment or is just incorporated in people's daily lives. Because there, there, there's a there's a bit of an entertainment threat, but like entertainment isn't, is all yeah. that happens at SIGGRAPH? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's, it's, SIGGRAPH is a place where, where we think of technology as the paintbrush, yeah. as what can we do with this, right? So that's where these crazy ideas come from. It's not a, should we do this? Or uh, it's, w what can we do with this new technology to make something that wows people or does something crazy and out there? And that is where you'll see it at SIGGRAPH. It's bleeding edge stuff. Uh, and that's, uh, I, I love seeing the kind of stuff where I was like, why did someone even think of that? But that's such a cool use of technology and that's blending both left brain and right brain. Uh, I think that's what, uh, that's what inspires me about the space. Victoria, what has the sort of emergence or even like renaissance and immersive technology, what has that brought in the past couple of years to SIGGRAPH and, and, and is there any kind of sense of where things are, are, are are going. Absolutely. So what what we've seen over the past several years, because I've been on the jury for uh, AR and VR a few years pa back. Uh, I shadowed the chair last year. We've seen an uptick in the number of submissions of content that we're getting to the immersive pavilion. We've seen an increase in submissions in the emerging technologies section. Emer emerging technologies is also in that space. Mm -hmm. And that's where kind of the crazy concept headsets, the people who are doing research on verifocal and, and what foveated rendering and all kinds of things that are going to improve immersive technology, we tend to see them share their work in emerging technologies. And then, right, as you mentioned, later on, a few years later, we see that technology being integrated into some of the latest AR and VR headsets. So it's really been a place for incubation and a place where immersion, everyone comes together from all different types of industry. It's not just gaming and it's not just animation, but really the people who are trying to push the limits and push the bounds of technology and want to know what what's going to be happening five years from now, that's where they come to learn about it. Have you gotten a sense of acceleration in the immersive technology space? Because I know, I mean, the first time I put a VR headset on at all, it was in the 90s, and it was one of those CRT-based dactyl nightmare scenarios. They oh, were, my God. They were trying to make commercial, right? They, they, that was the, like, one frame per second of refresh rate? Yeah, something like that, and yeah. it, was, it was fully... Uh, fully polygon. It was like, ooh, look at all these sure, polygons. Yeah. Like it was a, it was a big thing then. Um, and they had a couple of the setups uh, at the bowling alley at UC Berkeley, and it was like five dollars for you know 
a, f- a five or three minute experience, but the headset must have weighed 20 pounds. Yeah, <laughs> I know? remember, yeah. And at the same time that like, and the virtual boy came out around the same time and like burned yeah. everyone's <laughs> out, you know? Like, so oh, that, that, that's not VR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it wasn't, but like, <laughs> but it was enough to like scare everybody off. Right. But like, and then, and then you know, things sort of, I mean, well, they stalled for a very long time. And then we've had this ever since, what was it, like Sundance 2011, Right, so we've been going on like eight years now in this sort of new H and D era. Um, has has there been uh, this? What's what's sort of the arc of innovation from from the position of sitting at Sigra? I I think things are accelerating. I mean, we we're seeing it with we had more submissions than ever this year. Uh, creatives are really excited about this space. This is these are the good old days of a new medium, and I think that's a uh, that's exciting. We've, we're getting to the limits of what we can do in visual effects and computer animation, and there's a feeling of what's next? What's that big leap forward? And that's why VR and AR is this exciting space. I, it's still an area where there's a lot of creative innovation happening, but we're still trying to find where is the, where is the, the business here. Uh, but SIGGRAPH is about, as you said, it's, it's how are we innovating in a space that will eventually feed the 10 years, five years down the road where it becomes mainstream? And that's why we're still seeing that it's accelerating in the creative aspect, even at a time when we're questioning uh, how is this going to actually get there as a business. Now maybe, could you guys describe like your role in programming what gets seen at SIGGRAPH? Sure. So in terms of the immersive pavilion, it's set up with four different areas. One is the X-Arcade, which is featuring games and interactive experiences. The second area is the museum, which is going to showcase and highlight all the great art that's created in AR and VR and celebrate that. And then we have the village, which is immersive experiences that range from um, mobile mobile phone AR through um, all kinds of VR and MR experiences. We can't share too much about um, the exciting wish things. We, we wish we could. We're we're kind of on the edge of our seats because uh, the contributors haven't been notified mm. of their. Uh, but we've just been blown away, oh, yeah, and it's our been good. jury... You're like, you're like sitting on this, this massive list, and you're like, oh, boy, yeah. we want to tell you all about it. But that's why we hope people come to SIGGRAPH yeah, to it's, see I, it. I mean, what creatives are doing right now in the space is so inspiring. It's, there's, every year we're still seeing new language added, new verbs, new ways of telling a story, because we're still stealing from what we know. Right. Like VR is this unique medium that's going to do something that no other medium can, but we're still making the mistake of saying, let's use filmic devices yeah. or theatrical devices. And eventually, there's gonna, someone's going to come along and say, you've been doing it all wrong. This is what this medium can do that none other can. And we're j- we still are just seeing glimmers of that. It's yeah. exciting, uh, but it's going to be happening for years to come where this innovation is, is going to keep happening. Yeah, I'm reading a, I'm reading a galley of uh, Stephanie Riggs, uh, who's like heads up... Uh, Heads of Experiential at Refinery29 right now, and reading Gallery Gallery of her book, and she talks about being on a like a nonprofit uh, had commissioned her to help out with like a VR piece 
that was uh, like an anti-bullying piece. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. this was in like the first year or so of headsets kind of like making yeah, their way yeah. into the, the main, even remotely into the mainstream, just the promise of headsets making their way into the mainstream. And then before they even brought her on, they had like hired a film crew. Because uh, they're like, well, we're gonna we're gonna shoot this, yeah. and we're gonna write this, and this is how we're gonna do it, right? And just this idea that um, we're gonna we're gonna fit the old thing into the new thing, and that we're just gonna carry on. And and I mean, from the macro's perspective, you know, we all know that that's how film started. It was, it was like, a theater put a camera in front of a theatrical set, yeah, and yeah. then it took until 1940ish to get Citizen Kane, yeah, right. It, it it took a generation that grew up with it that said, you know what, we don't have to just put this in front of a stage anymore. We can, it's a camera. We can put it into the floor. We can play around with lighting. That I'm, I'm excited to see the next generation shine the way. Yeah. Yeah. No, and that's, and it, it's, I mean, what's fascinating to me is that we're sort of, because of things like Kane, we're, we're all a little more natively savvy, I think. Like, like we, we start off and we, we look at a new piece of technology and particularly a piece of storytelling or experiential technology and say, well, what is it? What can we do with right, it? Right. Like, yeah. what are why what are, VR? Yeah, we always are, ask that. Yeah. Right. What are the affordances here? You know. Yeah. Um, and it's. I mean, so even even though there's there's always going to be people who want to like you know, well, I have a hammer, you've got a nail, let's go. There's plenty of people who uh, start with the question of like, well, but what is this thing? Yeah. What's what's really gonna it's gonna be? Um, you guys can't talk about where you're gonna, what people are going to well, show. One, but like, one but, thing we, we <laughs> can talk about is we, we knew this I from the other, beginning. I have other questions. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Keep going. Well, <laughs> even, even before the, the, uh, we, we put our program together, we knew that where VR was going is uh, the stories that are being told have to be more interactive. Mm. VR is powerful when you feel present. Yeah. And so it's hard to say, I'm just going to sit you there and tell you a story and you have no involvement in it. Agency is key. And yeah. so we're seeing that the, where the medium is going is we first have to establish why you're here and then tell you a story. And so I think that's beginning to show the way that it is, it is as much about establishing a role, establishing the adventure, and then guiding you, not a hero, through a story. And I think that's really cool. Have you so, so staying staying on that beat? What I guess what was the what was the what was the approach? I mean, like I feel like I know to some degree what the approach was. I mean, that first wave we had, there were a lot of documentaries, yes, which were actually a lot of them which were fantastic, awesome. and amazing, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and I still feel like the news, like the news products yes. potential for VR, like has not been exhausted at all. Um, although I think like the appetite for news is almost like gone these days in, in some ways um but there's something i don't know like i think one of my favorite pieces is just this tiny little bit uh it was in i think it was in damascus in syria and it was like maybe shot in like the first year of of the war over there and so there was like a a uh, the, one of the spaces was this like old marketplace that ended that has this giant kind of metal shell and then there was all these, you know, bullet holes yeah. through it now. And so they either drop the camera down or they like, drop the camera into some place that could wind up getting, like, wiped out. Right. You know, and this idea that here's this capture tool that lets us preserve these, these spaces that are under threat. I, I still love documentaries, news pieces in the space. There's something about, let me tell you, a lot of great documentaries is let me establish the context mm-hmm. and 
then tell you a story through narration. And so it's awesome to, to say, hey, here's this context, here's this space that we're exploring. You're able to look around. You have that agency. And then a narrator is tr bringing you through that thread. I think it's harder if it's a classic drama where I'm trying to tell you a story of this happens, then this happens. Then it's hard because you don't have control over where the user is looking. Mm -hmm. And so I think as a VR director, you're fighting presence at that point. While in a documentary, you're using immersion in, in what, it's, what, it, what it's intended for. And so the, we're still seeing amazing documentary pieces that I wish we could talk about. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> uh, I still think that there's amazing innovation happening in that space. I mean, uh, do, do you all see any of the people on the narrative side sort of looking at the techniques that the documentary filmmakers are? are? Absolutely. I think one of the things that folks are trying to do, creators are trying to do, is give you some some sort of feeling of empathy or just have some emotion, emotional reaction to the situation that they've placed you in and the story that they've told you. So I've seen a few pieces where um, you're the interviewer of someone who's been in through mm -hmm. a war and all around you as you're learning about what happened to this person's life and as you're talking to this person and they're telling you their story, you get a sense for what it must have been like. And another piece that was actually featured at SIGGRAPH last year, I believe it was by Stanford, um, was an experience where you, you're homeless and what, what happens to you when you're homeless and how do you put yourself in someone else's shoes? I think there's a, a lot of great potential for that. Every time I go to a museum now, I think about what would this be like in, in VR. I was recently in New Orleans at the World War II Museum, and they have this great storytelling program that I didn't know about, but I was with a, a friend and her sons, and they said, oh, you have to pick up a dog tag, pick a person, and you go through the entire museum but you go through listening to the person you've chosen and what they experienced during World War II mm. at, through a, a timeline of what was happening in the world. Is and that like, like on, on an audio tour? Mm -hmm. So they give you a dog tag with an audio tour? And, then, and okay, you, yeah. you select the character or so that's character. That's the agency. Yeah. Your choice is Your choice. at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of opportunity for preserving history. Uh, there's a nonprofit out of Oakland called SciArc that's been doing photogrammetry capture mm -hmm. for a very long time of UNESCO World Heritage Sites. And they've, the last two or three years, taken a lot of that and put it into VR so that when a natural disaster happens somewhere or if uh, in a site that's protected by the United Nations somehow um, is in some form of conflict, they can use the, the photogrammetry and the LiDAR capture to recreate a site and work, you know, have an architect from some, one part of the world and have everyone go in VR and use that, use all that data to recreate uh, the monuments, particularly in, in countries in Southeast Asia where a lot of uh, tourism is, is based on going, going to be able to see ancient ruins, but mm -hmm. you could think about that across all, all the world and the opportunity to, um, to stand and be and look 
at a monument that maybe you you would never be able to travel to. Or one of my favorites was the um, the in in America. I'm forgetting the name of it, but. The monument where all the presidents are? Oh, Mount Rushmore? Mount Rushmore. <laughs> Thank you. I was wondering if you're like, you know how to say it in French. I do. <laughs> Le, no. Le Mount Rushmore. Um, but the Big Mac. They're, they're allowed into all the areas that normally tourists aren't able to go. So um, you put on the VR headset cool. and yeah. you're standing underneath the the presidents and looking up at them or you can look over or, you know, zoom in or zoom out. And it's exactly. I mean, it's just fascinating. And that's something you're, you're never going to be able to do. And so I think it's really wonderful that they're using this technology and they'd been capturing it since, you know, before VR was around, but now they're taking it and and putting it all together. Well, I mean, that sort of gets back to like, I mean, my very first experience uh, well, my very first, but like one of my first experience. Well, yeah, my very first experience in fully embodied VR. It was, it was the the year of the E3 where they were showing like the the, the Oculus One dev kit, um, and so you could go upstairs and you could see like Project Valkyrie, which became Eve Online's yeah. thing, mm-hmm. and you can and you could see some stuff down at the Indicate booth, and, and there there are things here and there, and people were messing around. But there was this one developer um, who happened to live in Los Feliz. He lived at the time like. Uh, like in a house behind Fred 62, which is just like in my neighborhood. And he invited me over a couple weeks later because he had been working on something. What he had done is he'd hacked together a way using just an iPhone, the iPhone at the time, right? So I think it was just like, it was like, oh, this is the second or third one to have a camera. We're like, oh, cameras on phones. This is amazing. So he took that iPhone and QR codes or anything that had a really heavy pattern, like a Persian rug, and use that over like Bluetooth or Wi-Fi. I can't remember. Maybe Bluetooth might have been, been not even available at the time. Um, and so it was using the camera to track where you were physically, and then sending that to the laptop that he was running the the Oculus off yeah. of, and was walking behind you with the Oculus. And the camera was strapped up to like a GoPro rig on your chest. And so it was just like the Vienna um, demo. And there was like some little orc thing in there, but I was able to walk up and put my face like right next to the orc. And it was really mind blowing that we were already there with some simple hacks. Uh, It's taken us much, much longer to get it to market than we thought we were going to. But that shift in perspective, I think was the the clearest thing. Like you can get up closer to a character than you ever would in real life. For me personally, uh, when I was able to move into a character or back away, and then when I could reach my hand out, that was what convinced me. I I, uh, used the first developer kit, and that was when you could just look around, you couldn't move around. And it's when the second developer kit came out, that's what convinced me. That, That feeling of, oh my god, just little movement of I can lean in or I can back away, I felt so much closer to the characters. I was in the space with. That's what I, I fell in love with the idea of real-time immersion. Uh, I love what's happening in the 360 space, especially documentaries, but the ability to have a story interact with you, even if it's just I have the ability to move around in the space, that's where I'm excited for the art form to go. Yeah. That, that first layer of, of agency, just physical agency in the space, just opens up so much yeah. in terms of 
both what the audience can do, and then and gives it gives filmmakers filmmakers for lack of a better term gives filmmakers like a different tool to yeah. play with, uh, because suddenly we're we're relational to the characters, and we're not in this static mode. I uh, the uh, Chris Milk, who I, I is is a friend and I admire a lot. He said that VR was this the next step forward in the empathy machine, right. uh, something that's been used for film, and I. I'm not quite sure if, I, I think it has this incredible power to connect you with a character and be there, but I think it, it can go further than just empathy. Empathy is about, I'm relating to a character through a screen, I'm relating to the hero, but I'm not engaged, I'm not involved. And I think that's where VR is beginning to show its uniqueness, is it's your own emotions. We're trying to give you a story where you feel sadness, you feel empowerment. Uh, and it's not just you watching a character that you get that mirror neuron effect. Right. Uh, and I, I, we're beginning to see that. That's yeah. that's what I'm excited about. Yeah. How to get the engagement? How to get? Yeah. How to get people involved at a level uh, beyond just the mirror? I mean, sometimes I feel like we we sell basic storytelling or even or even cinema a little short because like we do can we get put through our paces like good storytelling will put us through our paces sure, yeah. like mm-hmm. i mean i was getting i got choked up when i watched the star wars trailer today i was like ah, like <laughs> screaming a lot uh, and then i watched it seven more times and now i'm calmed down a oh, little man, bit oh man i've been a little bit i've missed it <laughs> i'm going to have to go home and watch this yeah watch it watch yeah. it um uh, i won't spoil anything um <laughs> but but suddenly when you're you're given choice when you're given agency when you're given a role when even when you're just put into a physical relationship with yeah. what's going on, like you find yourself reacting differently. You know, just the simple fact of like, oh, I got to duck out of the way. And yeah. it's like, no, you don't. Like, this passes over you. But like that instinct of like, oh, yeah, duck your head. But you, you want to. You want right. to buy into it, right? Even if it's not real. I, I, there's a lot of people who I see in VR. Uh, uh, one of uh, my favorite experiences from last year was Crow the Legend by Baobab Studios, mm-hmm. which uh, it was mostly a linear story, but there were moments where uh, you embodied nature, the seasons, and there were moments where you could progress the story by sprinkling snow in the landscape, and that was a way to advance time. And that was your involvement. You were coloring the story. You had some light involvement as you were watching as nature. So it it was this great device to say, you're not deeply involved because that's really hard to pull off, but you do have a way to to feel involved. Yeah, to, to feel like you're pushing it forward. And I think that, that those experiments are, are where the medium's going. Now at SIGGRAPH, you, you have all these different disciplines coming together, which is one of the things I think that's most exciting about immersive in general, is like it's bringing people from all walks. Are they, are they staying siloed, though? Or are they both physically there and then maybe kind of like after the fact, kind of connecting with each other? Like, are the, are the immersive artists connecting with the game makers and the game makers connecting with the filmmakers? Like, is that part of what's kind of happening right now? I think SIGGRAPH is one of the only places where you get all of those types of people together in one space. And we've been doing a lot of outreach to bring more people from AR and VR. For example, our our jury this year had some of the who's who of AR and VR, and some of them hadn't been to SIGGRAPH before. Mm. So 
what we're really trying to do by showcasing all of this immersive technology is connect them back with um, some of the great folks from the animation space and some of the great storytellers, the academics and researchers who are pushing the limits and really trying to get everyone to one place where they can see and experience everything and be inspired to work together to create new experiences. So we specifically for this year put out a call for a few things that we've never done before. Um, we have a focus on adaptive technology this year, the entire conference, but we also looked for experiences that help address adaptive technology. And we also- so when, when, Just to clarify, when you say sure. adaptive technology, what are we talking about here? So we're talking about technology that supports all, all kinds of disabilities. Mm. Everything, um, from physical disabilities to disabilities that can't be seen and supporting thinking about how do we build things and how do we use this immersive technology to kind of help further help further mobility for people. Yeah. yeah. Op opening up access beyond what, what it currently is. And I think that's, and that's accessibility is this thing that, I think everyone's been struggling with on the live side, and I know it's been on the digital side as well, because even just when VR first hit, there was all, everything that was around like motion sickness and like just like the, 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 the strange mystery of like, well, why are some people more susceptible? And I remember like digging into that and like talking with the researchers down in Florida who had done the work 20 years before, and they're like, oh, well, we don't even know why people get motion sick. And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, no, no, we like, we do not know why yeah. humans get motion sick. and. Starting with that fact and it's being like, wow, okay, if, how are we going to solve for this if we don't even know why it's happening it, it, normally? It's, it's a powerful medium. It's yeah. why we can connect as storytellers more deeply with the audience. It's, and sometimes it can be an overwhelming power. Yeah. But we're also, it, it is a, in some ways, uh, it is a form of mental hacking. And we can use that for our benefits. In adaptive technology, we're seeing it being used to heal PTSD in veterans. We're seeing it used to uh, heal uh, uh, myopia, to fix vision problems. We're seeing it as a way to deal with phantom limb syndrome or as a way to uh, uh, give a physical training game to a stroke victim. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of stuff that is, that is really exciting about VR and AR is it can have healing potential as technology, not just entertainment. Yeah, no, there's, there's something, I remember hearing about the, the PTSD work. Yeah. Um, even like as far as like even maybe even before like the first wave like knowing that that was still stuff that was being researched or I know I know there was a project I think at USC for a while of someone who was you know recreating in game engines uh, like soldiers traumatic experiences like where they got wounded and this idea of like confronting and reliving the trauma and getting yourself outside of it in order to see it yeah. and this this ability to give people again this perspective on what's going on or what went on with them. And and there is this kind of happy irony of this idea of like, well, because we can play with perspective, like correcting vision you know, yeah. things. Like when I first heard about like, oh yeah, we were able to like, you know, help people's eyesight through this. Particularly when like the, the fear is like, oh, we're all gonna strap televisions to our faces and burn our eyes out. It's like, well actually it turns out you we can make someone healthier. Like or yeah. give them give them the function outside of yeah. the the headsets being on. Um, 
and that's and and adaptive technology is a theme that's cutting not just in the VR, AR space, but across all of SIGGRAPH. It's a new program at SIGGRAPH this year that we're going to highlight in emerging technology, VR, AR, uh, technical papers, uh, uh, even in the electronic theater, it was a focus. And uh, Mm -hmm. when we were calling out for submissions, we were really looking for technology like that. What's the response been like in terms of the call? In terms of what you can say? (laughs) Because I know there's like, you can't announce things, but... Yeah, it's been pretty fantastic. I wasn't sure what to expect. I've, in in previous roles for other conferences, come across a few really phenomenal experiences. And I, I wasn't sure, but it turns out if you put it out there, they will come. Yeah. <laughs> they will find you. Yeah. And like I mentioned earlier, we're really trying to expose SIGGRAPH to folks who haven't been before. Because I think once you experience your first SIGGRAPH, you walk away just with your with your mind blown about any myriad of things that you could have seen or experienced. And I think it's just getting people to their first SIGGRAPH that really changes and, and shapes um, the things that they create and, and their work environment or, or how they work and, and what they do. So we've gotten a story about a first SIGGRAPH already. So mm-hmm. what was your first SIGGRAPH? So my first SIGGRAPH, I wanted it to be 2009 because it was in New Orleans. And I <laughs> oh, just, I love that SIGGRAPH. I, that's what everyone <laughs> says. That great. <laughs> and I just started working at NVIDIA, and I was learning, I was crash course learning about everything about computer graphics and was really excited because everyone of all the conferences NVIDIA goes to, all, the, all my coworkers were like, oh, SIGGRAPH, this is the most amazing. I didn't get to go the first year, but I've been, I think, every year since. So 2010 was my first SIGGRAPH. And I think I have an experience about every, every single one that I could share. But the one that's the most memorable was a SIGGRAPH Asia um, in Korea, where um, a colleague of mine partnered with Disney to showcase Rapunzel in stereo 3D and a very special projector with a very special screen um, that took us all night to calibrate uh, the glasses. And uh, it, was, it was just one of those incredible experiences that once, once you got it up and running and everyone came in and was able to see the presentation in 3D, I just, I just thought it was completely magical. And that was, that was a, a precursor to the, the VR headsets of of this generation mm. of this technology but it just showed everyone this is what's possible and this is what's pushing you can use both edge. of your eyes <laughs> <laughs> what's been what so so that was the most memorable for you for both of you what's been a thing you saw maybe in the last year or two that just got you totally gobsmacked. Like, could be VR, AR, could be something else entirely, because I know there's all sorts of weird things that appear. I, I can go. I'll, sure. So uh, the, uh, I was surprised uh, at South by Southwest this, this year that I got to see a version of AR that was, uh, was unexpected. Hmm. Uh, the Bose AR uh, uh, glasses and headphones that has the ability to know where you're looking, well, where, and it can integrate with your phone. 
uh, created this audio-only AR experience. Mm. It was called Traverse, and it was this simple experience where you could just walk around this 20 by 20 foot space looking at your iPhone, and as you were walking around, you were hearing stems from a recording session with Elvis Presley. Oh, wow. And so at first, you just heard Elvis starting to sing, and you could hear him spatialize as if he was at the center of this room as you were walking around. And then his background singers come in, some of the, the instruments come in, and you could w watch on your iPhone the placement of where that audio was coming from, and it felt as you were walking around that you were actually in that set. And you weren't, it was all virtualized, mm. and, I, and it was all through the headphones. You were only looking at your iPhone, you, didn't, you weren't wearing AR glasses, and it was, it was a form of immersion that really worked. Yeah. Uh, Jessica Brillhart's yes. working on, on that project. That's her piece, yeah. That's her piece. Yeah. And, and I, I, I always feel that people overlook audio. Just audio. Like, yeah. And, and, and the, the sheer power, the, one of my favorite pieces, uh, that was the binaural piece, is uh, her, her, long, her, her long black hair? No, like, her, yeah, I think her long black hair or her long dark hair. I have to, like... I have to look it up, but it's it's this piece that was done. Oh God, I want to say like maybe two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Uh, it was done for Central Park, and so it's mm -hmm. available as a podcast. And you just have to start at a certain spot in Central Park, and uh, it it gets you walking along a pathway. And they sort of they set your rhythm of walking by giving you footsteps to sort of match. Yeah. And if you and it's and those footsteps are always oh, going, wow. and so you kind of you do fall into that rhythm, and. And then they've recorded the the background noise of the space that you are walking through. So that's on there, and it becomes layered with what's going on actually around you as they're telling you this story. And you'll have these moments because it was recorded binaurally, where people will be walking behind you and coming up, and you'll feel them. You'll hear them pass you, and you won't. You'll find yourself turning around, and like there'll be no one there. And then other times it'll be happening. You'll turn. It's like, oh no, because someone actually is, and like. And there's one part where yeah. there's like a saxophone player like in the distance. And as you're getting closer, right, like you can, you, you hear it. And then you walk underneath a, a bridge and like the, the echo changes. It's just, it's absolutely mind boggling. And it was the technology that's like really, I mean, binaural has been around forever. And that, that was, uh, that worked because they were assuming you had a certain pace. Yeah. Uh, the cool thing about this new technology is they have a lot more information of exactly where you're yeah. looking, exactly how fast you're moving, so they could take that experience and make it uh, in sync with exactly where you are. Yeah. I think it's really cool. Yeah, that, that, that ability right there is something I've been waiting I know, like a couple of decades now. Like the second podcast appeared, I was like, I'm looking forward to when there's just spatial audio where you can go down to some place where and you know, go relive a story where it happened you know get a walking tour going on mm -hmm. or something that's even like more dramatic but like as you move around let it let it track you and like we've got all that all the gears there now yeah. mm -hmm. we, can, we can do that and now it's happening yeah. which is exciting yeah. Victoria what for you what was that I really like location based experiences nice because they when they're done really really well they um, and they kind of mix that reality with with virtual reality, and you can't tell what's real and what's not. But you're walking through an experience, and you're like, 
oh, and you put your hand out on a railing or do something and and those things that kind of trick your mind into, is this really happening or not? Because I, I go through it once and and absorb it all and and do it as the creators meant it. And then the next time I go through and I just like take my headset off and I'm like, oh, how'd they do this? How'd this happen? <laughs> What's your um, favorite uh, location-based entertainment you've been to? I don't know if I have a favorite. I guess and it's been a few years, but... Um, I did the Ghostbusters at, at Madame Tussauds in New York, and mm. when they pumped the smell of burnt marshmallow in at the end, oh, yeah. after, it just... You fry the marshmallow man. Yeah. The yeah. nostalgia yeah. Of, of Ghostbusters and, and being in New York City doing the Ghostbusters experience, just really, that to me was one of the first times that I realized how incredible this technology could be, and I think, it's similar to SIGGRAPH. Once you get folks to try it and 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 be okay with going with the flow and and it being an accurate experience, right? If you're um, doing something in virtual reality and the environment around you doesn't behave the way it would in real life, I think that's when people start to get jarred and mm. kind of confused or because you're 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 wasting so much time trying to figure out why oh why is this happening you know I, if um well, it's almost like a physical version of the uncanny valley effect right? yeah it's like the, well this it's just a cup why can't i pick up the cup right which is, is super super frustrating or or you find yourself sitting in a chair like do you get either of you get to do chained no no yeah. no i've heard of it though yeah i so, really want to i mean i think they're they're making a point of trying to like bring it around more and more and and definitely bring it around for like the halloween and christmas time next year because it's you know it's ghosts, but it's Dickens. So, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, there's there's a chair you can sit down in, and they made a point of getting like the chair that's in VR and the chair that's in reality. Like it's in, it's kind of ornate, and so, and if you've been in enough VR pieces or LBE pieces, you know sometimes like, well, look, there's a chair going to be there, but it's like it's not going to match. You know, yeah. when I when I sit down when I touch it, it's it's going to be this chair and not like some Victorian. Chair. Nope, nope. There's this beautifully carved Victorian chair, and so your hand goes out. You're like, "Oh my gosh!" Like the thing, it's really here. That little bit just takes you in that next level. Like you fall a little deeper into Wonderland. Yeah, uh, that the immersion starts before you put the headset on. Oh, a little bit, right? Well, there's well, there's that. So I'm, I mean, in this case, I'm talking literally of like you know, there's a chair, there's a one-to-one match. Uh, on that on that chair, right? Oh, so, so you don't even see the chair in real life. You're only touching it. Yeah. Well, so in the virtual so, space. So, so with because uh, you guys haven't seen it, I don't want to give away too uh, too much. But <laughs> yes, there is it. there is a vestibule uh, where you're brought into the world, much much in the same way because like Ethan Stearns was like this the producer of this end of Carnegie Arena, right? And so in Carnegie Arena, mm. really learned a lot about you know having that moment before. So in the moment before where it's it's established firmly in the world before they put the VR on you before they take you into VR. Um, in this case, what I'm just talking about is just that that simplicity of because I, I think of things like the void, which is what Ghostbusters was, and 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 it's funny. It's like some instances of the void, um, like the difference between doing this Star Wars one in Anaheim and doing it in Glendale is the difference between there being like a rail where a rail is supposed to be and just a ledge where the rail is supposed to be, and that 
little difference of, yeah, this is the right height, but this is square, and my hand's supposed to be touching round. This is square wood, I'm supposed to be touching mm. round metal. That little bit sure. is enough to make you go, but when it's round metal, you fall in deeper. And so in this case, there was a chair, and I was expecting the chair to be just a squared off, like, we got a stool for you to sit on type scenario. <laughs> because why would, you, why would you have a real, ornate right. Victorian chair that was plush in just the right ways? Because that's what you're seeing in VR. But instead, nope, that was there, which is like the, the, the roasty, toasty smell mm-hmm. uh, when, when, you, when you roast Stay Puff, which is, which is a wonderful reward. Right, that it's the reward for getting through. Like you don't expect it; it's what you want there to be, and then it's there, and it's like candy. You know, like we're gonna give you the smell of toasted marshmallow because you've succeeded at what you've done. Um, But it also makes me think of, you know, I mean, I've never been to like a 4D theater experience that Mm -hmm. wasn't say like at Disneyland, which are those are great because like they're an attraction, but like. Like over here at LA Live, I think one of the theaters is, is kitted out and like every blockbuster gets one of those roller coaster motion seat things. And I've I've never subjected myself to it. I feel like I, I should at some point, but it it makes no sense to me to like just be like blasting people with water in a normal movie because that was not you know, Christopher Nolan did not intend for you to be blasted with water during, you know, an invasion of Normandy sequence or something. Yeah, whatever, yeah. whatever the hell. The, Dunkirk, Dunkirk. Sorry, Dunkirk. Mm-hmm. Dunkirk. That'd, be, that'd right? be an intense 4D experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. Like they would just like. I mean, if if he did it, he would do it, but he would never do it. Right. But then you take those same tools and you put them into the void, and suddenly, it's amazing. It's like. It's almost like required. Like I need it. If the I, I I love how there's not a lot of expectations from the audience. Mm. VR, AR, everyone's going into it saying this is the future. Right. I'm I'm ready for my mind to be blown, and I'm open to anything. And I, I think that's why there's a lot of there's a a lot of forgiveness or a lot of willingness for the audience to take in something new. And uh, I think that uh, that's going to lead, there has to be this space because we're still experimenting to find what that language is. Eventually, the audience is going to get smart about it. It's why film-going audience, to make anything that's novel and original, you have to bend the rules. Right. right? You have to come out with a memento where someone's like, oh my god, I, suddenly you're reversing time on me. That's, that's awesome. But you can only get there once the audience has a maturity of understanding once they have the language down. Right. And VR, we're at a place where everyone who's getting into VR, they're still so new to it. Yeah. Like, the equivalent would be trying to like read Ulysses to a baby. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, you'd just be like, oh, I, don't even, I don't even know half these words, let alone why they're going in this order, because this makes no sense. And this is really hard for uh, VR creators as well, because those of us who have been in the VR space for a few years now, our expectations have changed. Right. We want. VR to get faster, try more things, but there's still a lot of the audience out there who are trying VR for the first time. Oh yeah. And if you try some advanced stuff, you're going to lose them. It's kind of fascinating like with immersive in general, like because so many people have not been exposed to it. Like you drop people into something and uh, the novelty alone is enough to like, you know, kind of, you know, attach them. Cool. Uh, the novelty alone is to get them like attached to the experience. Um, and there's, there's, there's sort of kind of this amazing 
thing that happens once you get jaded enough and you've started to like see yeah. like everything under the sun where you're like, oh, I've walked through that war-torn country before. Like, right. you know, like, yeah. oh, we've done this. It's like, oh, yes, I've had I've had snowball fights inside theaters, whatever. Like, you know, you can't impress me with, with this sort of stuff. But, but I feel like that's also a moment I'm looking forward to where where more of the grammar is known and you start to see people put together more complex sentences yeah. and kind of get to the point where it's it's about it's about it's about the values and the messages and the experiences being conveyed uh, and not and not just like oh I can do this thing the the crazy thing is that I think if you sat someone down in a VR experience that was the most popular thing 20 years from now hmm. and you showed it to a modern audience today's audience I think they'd be lost I think they wouldn't get it. Oh yeah, I mean, if if I rolled back and like showed like, I don't know what TikTok videos to like you know a twenty year younger version of myself, uh, and then and then told them everything that was going on in our world, uh, they they'd kill me. Uh, <laughs> they'd just be like, "No, you're lying. Go away. What is this demon box you have in your yeah. hand?" Yeah. Um, particularly the TikTok videos. That's the worst part. No. Um, <laughs> but no, I I think you're I mean you're definitely dead on right. You know, yeah, and yeah. and so the it's if if a director comes along and has this amazing idea that's ahead of its time, we may it may fall flat when ten years from now it could be this amazing idea. Do you think anything like that's already happened? I, Can you think of something that like that? I definitely. Uh, I think when we when we VR storytellers were first in the space, a rule was don't move anyone. Mm. The people can get motion sick. Don't just sit them down in a space and tell them a story. And we are seeing that there is now a lot of experimentation happening with movement. And some people do get motion sick in that, but I think it is playing at the edges of we will eventually get used to this type of experience. And we will eventually want this kind of extreme motion. It's pretty fun to feel like you're a kite flying through the clouds. Mm. But for some people, that's going to be too intense. Yeah. And so we're we're seeing signs of playing around with the edges of the rules. Yeah. Well, hell, I mean, the the giant spiders at the Harry Potter ride that I was on last night were too intense for me. Which, and I didn't realize I I didn't don't have a major spider thing. But when they're that large, yeah, yeah. I suddenly have a major spider thing. I went through. I was just like, nope, I'm noping out. Tell me the spiders are gone. <laughs> the dementors are here. Great ghost men trying to steal my soul. That I can handle. Um, what see this 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 is gonna be like a hard one for you because you know what's what's coming for this year, but what what do you sort of expect to pop? Like what's the thing that's maybe just about ready to mature out of the technology set that has been growing for the past couple of years? I think we'll see more spatial audio mm. happening. I know we've talked a little bit about that already, but I think that's something that is getting a lot more focus that people are paying attention to. I think AR, go ahead. Just, uh, quick thought there. Could it be because podcasts are so popular? I mean, like narrative podcasts, like is that, is that maybe Well, if AR means augmented reality. Right. And we already augment our lives with podcasts. Yeah. We listen to music to put ourselves in a good mood. So audio is the original augmentation of reality, <laughs> and we're just making it better. Nice. So uh, I actually think it's going to be the AR that works. While trying to put a visual display in front of your eyes is amazing, but I think there's going to be some need for technology. 
you're going to see the glimmers of what that is at SIGGRAPH, mm. uh, but we're still not to a consumer grade AR that you wear and has visual that projects holograms on the world. Yeah. But we already listen to podcasts and music and it sounds great. And then I just thought of like, you know, Spike Jones's Her, right? Like that, yeah. that's mm-hmm. augmented reality that was just straight up audio, Absolutely. right? Yep. You know? And just, I mean, if the computer knows, it's like all, you're looking, for, like getting here, it's like you're looking for Studio One, all right? Now turn the corner, go up, those are the stairs. And like if it knows the layout, it's like, oh, you're going to see this, right? Instead of being like blink, 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 it's just like, I'm just going to tell you, you know? It's like, or or to go to go a little older, you know, The Matrix, when Morpheus is telling you like, now left, now right, now go out the window. Wait, what? Sorry, what else? So spatial audio. I think augmented reality in, in general is, I, I think people are realizing for different experiences it it will be easier to get people uh, used to having their reality changed a bit if they start with augmented reality we're seeing a lot of uh, particularly in enterprises or or places where people are trying to train or learn or or do something where a very basic one is like a car mechanic is trying to do repairs right if they were wearing they're sitting under the car and they're they're wearing AR glasses and they can pull up the manual and flip through to see exactly the part that they're meaning to change. That I think is going to permeate more in in industry and in enterprise and manufacturing. And in turn, that will expose the technology to a, a new group of people who maybe aren't gamers or don't aren't into immersive technology. I mean, SIGGRAPH brings together like the best of the best of the folks from all over the world in this space, right? But your average, your average consumer, right? They need to somehow be exposed to this technology in a way that's understandable for them. And I think we're going to see augmented reality this year have a much, much bigger impact and also help figure out some of the elements of the ability to kind of be in an immersive environment that will that will lead and the new generations of headsets that have been announced this year as well will also kind of create more more excitement and people will get to understand the technology more yeah that the the next wave of headsets like I don't want to say it feels like make or break because that feels maybe too pessimistic, but like it's such a great opportunity to sort of hit the reset button mm-hmm. on the perception because the the difference between being tethered and not tethered huge, is huge, huge, and the difference between three degrees of freedom and six degrees of freedom is similarly huge. And the fact so, that you can put it in a backpack. Yeah. And just bring it to a playground or bring it to an office or to a restaurant or, and it's, it just all works. Yeah. Br- to bring it to your friend's house. I mean, that yeah. that's, that's the critical thing. Yeah. Like, you know, oh, that thing I got, I'll bring it over. I'll, I'll let you check it out as yeah. opposed to you come over to my, I mean, the portable gaming, you know, I mean, Game Boy, Game Boy was huge because, you know, you put it in your back pocket, yeah. then your friend wanted to play with it. It's like, fine. You, you let them play with it and they steal it. No. Um, <laughs> but like, I mean, that trained... I don't, you know, I've never thought about this, but I don't think we'd have smartphones if we hadn't had Game Boys, oh, because just we're so used to we, we we got acculturated to carrying around a piece of electronics when we were, you know, in middle school. 
for people who are my age. So, or were just given one as soon as they were like old enough to like, you know, manipulate one. Um, one, one thing I, I was thinking about that I think is about to pop uh, is immersive experiences that are social. Mm. So in the VR space, you put on this headset and you feel isolated. You're, yeah. you're cut off and a lot of experiences are out there are single player. But we're beginning to see you put a headset on and you're put into a virtual world where you're seeing other real people as avatars yeah. in that space. Are you talking about things like VR chat or you in, in alt space? Or yes. you talk about like even, because I saw that in the, in, in, in the call for submissions, you were looking for like, like multi-viewer yes. multi, um, theatrical experiences. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, wish I could talk about it. Uh, <laughs> one, one thing I, I can say that, that I'm excited about is we are... For the VR theater experience, one thing we're doing that we think is evolving this art form is uh, the way VR theater works is 55 people walk into this beautiful theatrical space. They sit down in front of a immersive uh, an immersive rig, put on a headset, and when they enter into virtual reality, they're going to look around and see representations of all of their other attendees, yeah. and they will hear the, their voices, they will be able to see the ghosts of them in the space before they are then going to be dropped into the theatrical experience. Nice. And so it creates this communal feeling that we love in traditional theater in the virtual space. And so even if they say, hey, you're about to see this, this four minute story, you're going to watch it and then come back to this lobby, this, this uh, virtual uh, interstitial space, we think that this is going to be where theater is going. Yeah, I, there's this this idea of a virtual a virtual lobby, a virtual home space, before you kind of launch off as yeah. many people are chasing. But I think there's something really smart about linking it as much as possible to the physical space that right. you're actually in. As it's, I mean, maybe it's maybe that's just a narrative bias. Maybe that's just the storyteller in me who who likes it. But it feels right that if we were to transition into VR, we would mix this. Like if like we all put on our headsets right now and then we found ourselves in a virtual representation of the room. It and was then, similar to yeah. the same positions you were in the physical space. Yeah. And then someone did something and then the, the room melted away and we were on Dagobah. It would just, it'd be like, okay, like it, it, you know, mixing in that way or, and, or being, virtual, being virtual characters into the space. The, for us, we, we like the idea that the, the theater we're designing has this beautiful panoramic display. Mm. And so uh, when the audience comes in, they've already crossed over the magic circle. They're yeah. already in the immersion, and there's this beautiful space. They sit down in these nice chairs, and then someone helps them with their headset on. And so we want it to feel like you started the experience when you walked through the door, nice. not just when you put the headset on. So it's a continuity of that experience. And so we're not only playing around with... Uh, showcasing the best of the best in VR. We're also playing with, around with how we show it to an audience. That I think is absolutely critical because so many times I'll go to an expo or you'll you know just I don't want to throw them under the bus, but like going to IMAX's like VR pod setup, it felt very alienating. It was like trying to fit again. It was like oh, we know what a movie theater looks like. We're gonna plug you know, this into that. And there was, there was no, no onboarding, no, no sense of something special, no sense of mm -hmm. reverence. And I think of something like, you know, tree being in an environment like that and be like, Oh, that's the wrong environment yeah. for mm -hmm. versus something like, 
you know, uh, or even just the subtle differences like, you know, the Anaheim instance of the void versus the Glendale instance of the void. So like you, you know, you come into a shallow lobby and then there's a, a hidden panel door and you go there and you just keep on each point of the way. Like you're just, you're, you're focused in one spot for a second. I suppose you're in Glendale. What's like, Oh, come behind the thing. And then over here and everything's kind of open versus something like the way, uh, has progression. Yeah, yeah. The way dreamscape does it where it's like, okay, we're going to take you down a hallway and in and like, we're going to, we're going to seal you off before and, and keep you kind of in our, in our clutches as yeah, we I, I think sometimes we forget that cinema has a pageantry to it. Yes, it does. Right? You, yeah. you sit down and you get your popcorn and, and you, the lights dim down, trailers begin. There is this, this onboarding yeah. that we're just used to by now. And, and moments family. of anticipation yeah. of when, when the movie is going to start. Yeah. That annoying family who comes right as the, the opening credits are going. Like, well, you guys had 20 minutes of trailers. How could you possibly be? Yeah, but you see in VR, you could actually, like, duck them out. <laughs> exactly. You could actually mute them away. Yeah, in VR, it'd be great. Just, like, they're not there, yeah. you know? It's, uh, that'd be the lovely thing. Um, we've been at this now. Oh, wow. For, it's been a while now. Um, what, if there's, if there's one takeaway, because we should probably, like, wrap up. Uh, if there's one takeaway about why people who are interested, particularly let's say, let's say we wanted to make the pitch not just to the folks who already have an interest in technology, but let's say we're talking to like live immersive folks, people who maybe like they're escape room folks, they're immersive theater folks. What, why should they dip their toes and come, come check out SIGGRAPH? What would be a good... Man, I wish we could talk about what we're going to have there. Yeah. <laughs> that would be helpful, but like yeah. on a theoretical level. Yeah. On a theoretical level... Because it, the academic communities there, the scientific communities there, and practitioners are there, there end up being a lot of things that you aren't going to be able to see if you go to the game developer conference or if you go to a film festival. You're really going to be able to see the cutting edge and bleeding edge technology that will be making it into you know your your future work someday and there's really only one place where you can come see all that and everything from prototyped headsets and things that are purely academic and and research to full experiences that um that are potentially premiering at the conference yeah i Look, sometimes SIGGRAPH kind of has this, it's, it's for scientists, it's very academic and it's research-based. And it's, it's so much more than that. You're, th- this year's theme of SIGGRAPH is showing that this industry is thriving. One of the tenets is we want to show how technology is used for spectacle, mm. that how the technology is used to wow people. And so if you come to SIGGRAPH, especially to the experience hall where Victoria and I work, there are so many amazing things that you'll see that will you will become mainstream 10 years from now. So if you come to SIGGRAPH now, you will, as Victoria said, you will see the bleeding edge. This is the thing that is inspiring the content creators that are gonna blow your mind years from now. Yeah. So this is, you come to SIGGRAPH because you are curious about the future and, and it's not, you don't have to understand how to read science papers. You can just come and experience it and you will see it. You'll be like, oh my God, this is the future. This is going to change the world someday. So I, I think everyone can enjoy SIGGRAPH. All right. That is a good pitch. Max, Victoria, thank you so much for chatting with me. It was a pleasure. This was fun. All right. Good. Yeah.
once again want to thank Victoria and Maxwell for being our guests on the show today. SIGGRAPH is coming up at the end of July, uh, the 28th through August 1st. And again, remember, uh, (coughs) June 7th is when early registration wraps up. So if any of that sounded uh, like a thing you absolutely need to go check out, and I know a few of you who are thinking that now, who weren't thinking it before, jump in on the early registration as you can. And I want to thank Emily Drake uh, for setting up this interview as well. All right. Let's let's talk a little Black Spire. Um, I part of me is deeply embarrassed that this happened because I'm I'm anxious that way. Um, on the other hand, uh, this month was the bad kind of roller coaster. Uh, those of you tracking and pay attention, like my mom was in the hospital. Um, uh, it's a heart disease thing. Uh, it's it's not the. <laughs> It's not great. Um, And I I don't necessarily like talking about it uh, here, but uh, I tend to be relatively open with you all. And um, it it was, it was actually, I I, I almost didn't want to go today. Um, And when, and when the, when the friend of the show first contacted me, um, I was still, you know, she wasn't out of the hospital yet. I didn't know what was going on. And, uh, he was trying to set up a surprise and I was like, well, you gotta tell me like where, at least where am I going? And he was like, well, you gotta be down in orange County. And a part of me was like, there's no way it's okay. But I left the door open, uh, because again, initially I thought it was like someone might've been doing some kind of ARG or art piece. And, you know, part of the reason, part of the idea of right now is that, you know, someone wants to do something strange in the middle of the week, you know, I'm, I'm actually able to go check it out. Um, but there's family duties now that, you know, there weren't before, you know, some, anyone has had kids or anyone has had this, this going on, like a parent, um, your, your life changes in, in fundamental ways. And I haven't quite hit that point of equilibrium where I know what works. Um, Overlook's coming up and I'm actually, can I, you know, terrified. I'm, I'll get to Black Spire, don't worry. Um, and something that's been beautiful has been uh, I reach out to some of the friends in the community, and they're they're going to help make sure that the the, the churn keeps on going. So uh, I've been really moved of late by just how so many folks are stepping up and stepping in, uh, and uh, I, I, I name folks, but sometimes some things feel too personal. The way almost that this trip to galaxy's edge almost feels too personal um i'm just a few hours from it it was this morning i'm fresh off of it (coughs) um i experienced the catharsis began in uh savi's salvage uh savi salvage for those of you who are paying close attention know that's the build your own lightsaber workshop um it's, you know, there's there's a little bit of the bibbity boppity boot boutique and a little bit of you know the Harry Potter wand experience thing, but uh, it is it is definitely its own experience. Um, it's designed as something that uh, a number of people can come through all at once together, and uh, at the end of it, you you get 
well, you don't get, you build a lightsaber. You, you, you have this experience where you're building a lightsaber, uh, alongside other folks and the stagecraft on it. Um, and I want to, I want to be very quiet about certain things because I want you to be able to have this experience as much as possible. Those of you who are going to do it, um, the stagecraft on it, uh, in, in the rhythm and the cadence and in, in the way the, the, the experience was constructed overall, um, there were moments in there that I had been, you know, daydreaming about my entire life. Right. Um, and to get to go through them, um, you know, Lauren Bellow, uh, put up a, um, uh, a poll this week on everything immersive. And that was something I was going to mention actually at the top of the show forgot to do. Uh, and it, she, she kind of laid out a whole bunch of reasons why people might, you know, uh, what would they get out of, um, uh, doing immersive work. And, uh, I actually clicked other and I wrote out, you know, the experience of entering another world and all that entails because there's a lot of good stuff and a lot of things where, you know, I, there's resonances in, in some of what, you know, Lauren had put out. But for me, it's very much just simply about stepping out of the mundane world into this other world distinct from escapism. Escapism was actually one of the choices that she laid out. But for me, it's not about escaping. I'm not running away. I'm not trying to get away. I'm trying to get in. I'm not trying to get out. I'm trying to go deeper in. That's what I want. I want to go deeper into these worlds. And what's amazing about the moment in the salvage is it was I was concentrating on the details of of what I was doing of <laughs> of where I was and what I was doing and because I was focusing on where I was and what I was doing I I made that leap across into what I had always dreamed. Now look, I'm not, it's, it, it's not a plasma chambered kyber crystal. Like the, you know, there's, there, it's plastic and metal and LEDs, but in the moments, in the moments of what they've crafted, one brief moment, the little spark goes. And that spark is enough to start a process. Um, I started to cry a little bit. And then I went outside and uh, I, I, you know, I ran into someone who, who worked on this Um someone I'd, I'd met before, uh, thanks to IDS. And, uh, they told me about, there's this tree in the salvage yard. Uh, they, they gave a specific name for it and I wish I remembered exactly what it was. I've asked them for that name and I'll, I'll write it down somewhere. We got it. And they said, you know, this tree, if you, uh, if basically, if you make a wish or pledge an oath on it, like it, it's bound like this, this is, this is a, this is a, a kind of a, a sacred spot. 
and you go to this tree. <clears throat> it's a real tree um, in the yard, and it's going to grow over time. Uh, that's one of the fun things about about Disney is the real trees. <laughs> and um, there's all of these uh, red and blue uh strips of fabric have been tied around and I just I held on to that tree um I grasped it and uh I I let myself um I'm not going to talk about what it was but uh I dug in to um something real and something very present and because I was already open I was open from you know, the stagecraft that it occurred. Uh, I just cried holding onto a tree for, I don't know, two, three minutes. Um, you know, wept openly, uh, feet away from people I respect, uh, deeply and admire and away from friends. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm, I'm cool. With that, I'm a big old softie. I cry at every Pixar movie. Um, I, uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm aesthetically, intellectually flabbergasted and impressed and amazed. I'd never cried at a Disney property before. I was never moved in that way before. And I know I'm, I, of all people, am uniquely suited to have that reaction. But that's one of the things that's beautiful about what they've done is they've made space. There's going to be a lot of talk um, about how immersive it is, uh, you know, what the interactive parts are, how the app is working. The app we weren't allowed to use our phones at all. That's why you see no photos of me, you know, running around with it. Like there's going to be tons of photos of me later running around with it, but like. Right now, it's just whatever I did at home with, with the lightsaber. Um, not like that. Um, but I but I do have a new uh, avatar soon. Um, this idea is, you know, what, what's there now is this platform, is this amazing platform, this physical space that has been constructed with such detail and love like you can tell the passion you can tell you know two generations or more of artists uh two generations of artists who grew up with this stuff and and even more generations of artists who have long admired this have worked on this project and brought forth a a physical manifestation of of something that people have long dreamed of, long dreamed of. I, I do not want to undercut what's over at Universal with Harry Potter Land. Indeed, in so many ways, uh, you know, Hogwarts and Hogsmeade have really uh, they 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 open the door and and let these designers dream big and and go forth. Um, Galaxy's Edge Black Spire is it's something even more. And maybe I'd feel different if I was more attached to the Harry Potter franchise. Maybe I've got those blinders on. Like, take what I say with a grain of salt. I am a Star Wars fanatic. Right? Not fan. Fanatic. But when you're in there, when you're in there, 
they have they have built the thing so that you cannot see outside of it. There's a couple of tricks. I'll tell. I'll teach you them one day, young Padawan. Um, but in any given moment, unless a plane flies overhead, the kayfabe is not broken, and everywhere you turn, everywhere you turn, it's this world they've built. And yeah, there are credit card kiosks, and and you've got to swipe. Um, and everywhere people have got <clears throat> their badges on and there's, they've got their names and it's also in the Arborish, but it is their name because you have to be able to identify an employee. And yes, there are exit signs and yes, there are sprinklers because OSHA won't let us play. And also good because we don't want anyone to get hurt. But aside from the absolute necessities that have to be there, that we just have to go you know, lightly editing, editing out. The main point is the horizon everywhere you turn. When you look out, you can't see outside into the rest of the park. Normally when you're in a Disney property, you look out and there's the Matterhorn and there's this, there's, there's one place, one place where you can see big Thunder mountain from one place. Uh, and you can see something else, uh, also, but you can see big thunder relatively easily. The other things you have to try for, you have to try for, and that alone, that alone is a feat. I'm looking forward to going back. I'm looking forward to starting a tradition um, of, uh, well, that'd be a spoiler for somebody out there. So there's traditions I'm looking to start. Uh, I already have my, what I'm calling my Batutanim. Uh, Batu is the the planet, uh, so I need. I wanted to have like a, a, a character. So when I ordered a Ronto ramp a, a wrap, I gave my fake name. I gave my character name. So I have a Batutanim now. Uh, I had a very specific one. I might modify it slightly. Um, I and and once I've decided, maybe I'll share it with everybody. Uh, it's mildly ridiculous, and because I'm very much ridiculous. Um, and I'm sure a more critical analysis is forthcoming, uh, particularly on a subsequent trip. Uh, I'm sure that more money is coming out of my pocket, uh, even though I got to watch it now, uh, since like it's, this is not the finance Noah buying, you know, junk at star Wars land podcast. I don't think it is anyway. Um, that's what the freelancing is for. Uh, that's what that's supposed to pay for. But, um, yeah, right now I'm having that moment the way I do the first time I see a Star Wars movie. And I can't just can't believe it exists. Also, um, I got to pilot the Millennium Falcon today. Um, that was that was pretty awesome. The, the ride is cool. I was getting worried about the ride. The ride by itself is totally cool. It's totally, there's just this stuff. Even the, even the line is cool. Even the line is cool. There are moments and, and there are moments that are just cool by themselves. And the more of a star Wars person you are, the more those moments pay off. So if you're like me, get ready. And if you're passingly familiar with it, you're going to have a fine time. You're going to have a good time. You might even start to become a little more like me.
I'm sorry in advance. But it's great over here. All right. Um, and, and to the team that made it, um, I just, I need to say thank you because, um, again, it's been a roller coaster of a month and, uh, a month ago things got pretty bad and we're here a few weeks later and there's battles ahead and roads, uh, to be forged and fought. But we're also able to experience magic in real time. And uh, that's pretty, pretty cool. All right. Let's do the closing credits, shall we? The music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. The sustaining backers of No Persinium are Samuel Mustry, Jan Budman, Lonnie Hansom, Ari Hurston, Mark Baltazar and Sam Kinkin. You can reach us in all things at nopersinium.com. We're at nopersinium on Twitter. I'm at Noah J. Nelson on Twitter. Uh, our email, if you have a show you want to announce, is pitches at nopersinium.com. Um, Patreon.com slash nopersinium is the crowdfunding. And again, right now, we're in that part of it where we are. Uh, piling up the travel funds for the team so we can do more. All right, that's it. And this time out, a special sign-off. Till the Spire.